Hello. Welcome to the Legends of King Arthur and his Knights. Chapter 19. The Passion Potion. Sir Tristram of Lyons, or Sir Trantris as he was calling himself, enjoyed his stay in Ireland. His poisoned wound healed, and he basked in the attention of the beautiful Isoude. Unfortunately for Tristram, it was not to last. The happiness and peace of his stay in Ireland were shattered by a chance discovery. One day, when Sir Tristram was all but recovered, La Belle Isoude told him about a tournament that King Agwisance was going to hold. A knight called Sir Palamedes the Saracen would be there. Now, it just so happened that Sir Palamedes was very keen on Isoude. She was very concerned the Saracen would win the tournament and declare he had won it for her. She begged Sir Tramtris to step in and fight. Tristram, of course, agreed. The day of the tournament came. Sir Palamedes was quite obviously inspired by something because he overperformed massively. He was a great knight, but he wasn't expected to do as well as he did. In quick succession, he beat many of the knights of the round table, including Gawain, Agravain, Geheris, Kay, Sagramore, and King Bagdemagus. On the second day, he beat the King of a Hundred Knights and the King of Scotland. Isude decided it was time for Sir Tramtris to take the field. He entered the tournament field carrying a shield which was entirely black. Nobody, except of course La Belle Isude, knew who he was. Sir Tristram took on Sir Palamedes. They charged towards each other. It was not even close. Sir Tristram knocked Sir Palamedes from his horse while staying perfectly mounted on his own. Palamedes was angry and ashamed. He remounted and galloped away from the tournament field. Sir Tristram, sending a chance to give Sir Palamedes a really good kicking, rode after him. He soon caught up and demanded he turn round and fight or yield to him there and then. Tristram and Palamedes fought again. The knight from Lyons was very young, but he was surely one of the finest knights in the world already. After a very short time, he struck Palamedes so hard on his head, the Saracen fell to the ground. Tristram wrenched off his own helmet so that Palamedes could see his face. Then he stood over him, sword clenched in both hands. He brought the blade down slowly so it touched Palamedes' neck. I command you to yield to me. Not only that, you must leave La Bellissude alone. You are not to try to speak to her or contact her in any way. And not only that. You are not to bear arms or enter any tournaments for twelve months and a day. Sir Palamedes bowed his head in shame. Then he threw his weapons away and stormed off. A few days later, Sir Tristram was lounging in the bath, easing the aches and pains of the tournament. He was being attended to by Governail and had left his clothes and arms in his room. The Queen of Ireland, mother of the lovely Isoude, wandered into his room and glanced over at his sword. She noticed there was something a bit unusual about it. It was a mighty longsword, made of the finest metal, but it was very slightly damaged. A few inches from the sharp end, there was a chip missing from the blade. The Queen's blood ran cold as a terrible thought came to her mind. Slowly she strode purposely to her own chamber and retrieved the small fragment of sword which had been pulled from the brain of Sir Marhaus. With trembling fingers, not wanting to believe the truth, she fitted the fragment into the hole in Sir Tristram's sword. Of course, it fitted perfectly. Murderous thoughts entered the Queen's mind. She grabbed the sword and marched to the bathroom, raised the sword and brought it down with all her might on Tristram's chest. The sword pierced his heart and killed him instantly. Or it would have done had not Governail grabbed the Queen and prevented her from delivering the blow. 
the Queen ran straight to her husband and told him that Sir Tramtris was not Sir Tramtris, but Sir Tristram. Whether they slapped their hands to their foreheads in disbelief they'd not worked it out before is not recorded. Either way, the Queen demanded that her husband have him executed. King Aguasance was well versed in the codes of honour and chivalry. He knew that Tristram had been fighting for his lord, King Mark, when he had killed Sir Marhouse. Marhouse may have been his brother-in-law, but he hadn't been killed unlawfully. There was no way he could execute Tristram for what he had done, and anyway, he had come to like the young man. He banished Tristram from Ireland rather sadly. Tristram agreed to go and thanked the king. He swore that if he could, he would be of service to him in the future. La Belle Isude wept. Sir Tramtris became Sir Tristram again. He sailed back to Cornwall. King Mark was delighted to see the young man return to health. Tristram told the king of his adventures in Ireland and how he had nearly been killed by the queen when she discovered who he was. He also spoke at some length about Isude and how beautiful she was. In Cornwall, things started to go a bit wrong. It seems that Sir Tristram was a very fine-looking young man and the ladies loved him. He was quite keen on them too, including the wives of the other knights of Cornwall. He may have loved Isude, but he was perfectly happy to have other girlfriends. One of them was the wife of a knight called Sir Seguarides. Cornwall must have been full of gossip at the time, because apparently King Mark was keen on the lady too. One night, Mark discovered that Sir Tristram was going to see her. Raging with jealousy, he took two of his knights and ambushed Sir Tristram. The three men attacked him with spears. Tristram was too strong for them, obviously, but King Mark managed to wound him. In turn, Tristram hurt King Mark as he was defending himself. He didn't know it was Mark who attacked him, as it was too dark to recognise anyone. When Sir Tristram arrived back at Tintagel, battered and bruised, but not really badly injured, King Mark had calmed down. He pretended to be concerned for Tristram's welfare, and the young knight never suspected that Mark had been responsible for the attack. Things went on pretty much as they had done before. From that day on, though, King Mark stopped loving his nephew. Never again did he trust the young knight. He thought about how he could get rid of Sir Tristram without being caught. Before long, King Mark hit upon the ideal solution. He decided it was about time he married, and he thought about who would make a suitable wife. And who do you think he decided was very suitable indeed? Yes, La Belle Isude. Even better than this, he could kill two birds with one stone. He ordered Sir Tristram to go to Ireland and fetch the young lady. This was a win-win situation for Mark. Either he'd gain a fantastically beautiful new wife, or he'd get Sir Tristram killed by the Irish. Either way, he'd be happy. King Mark smiled to himself. It was a perfect plan. King Aguisance, meanwhile, was in a spot of bother himself. He had been accused by two brother knights of the Round Table, Sir Bloberis and Sir Blamore, of treacherously killing a cousin of theirs. They were relatives of Sir Lancelot, and so the dead man was also related to Lancelot. King Aguisance pleaded his innocence, but he was summoned to England by King Arthur to answer the charges. Of course, answering the charges in the age of King Arthur was not a regimented legal process. It simply involved a knight supporting the accuser and a knight supporting the defendant, fighting each other. The winner was right, the loser was wrong. Simple as that, no need for lawyers. Tristram sailed from Cornwall. The weather was terrible and the sea was rough. Tristram's ship was blown off course and arrived not in Ireland but in England. 
he set up camp in order to be comfortable while he waited for the weather to improve. Governale went off for a quick scout around. When he arrived back at the camp, he had a message for Sir Tristram. He told the young knight he had encountered servants of King Aguisance. The King of Ireland was in dire need of a knight to fight for him to prove his innocence. Tristram immediately mounted his horse and rode to Aguisance's camp. Then he bowed before the king. My gracious lord, I promised you when I left your court I would do service for you if I could. Now, in your hour of need, I offer you my arms. First, you must guarantee me two things. One, that you are innocent of the crime and did not permit the murder of a good knight. And two, that you grant me a reward that I may request after I win the day for you. Fair knight, replied the king, I swear to you I have not committed this crime. And yes, should you win, I will grant you a reward. Sir Tristram was satisfied. He rode out onto the field to do battle with Sir Blaymore. They rode at each other and collided with a sound like thunder. Sir Blaymore fell from his horse, but quickly jumped up and drew his sword. Dismount, Sir Knight, and fight me with blades. My horse failed me, but the earth will not. Tristram jumped from his horse and unsheathed his sword. They fought with gusto for quite some time, until Tristram unleashed a huge blow which knocked Sir Blaymore to the ground. Tristram stood over him. "'Slay me!' shouted Sir Blaymore, "'for I will never yield to you.' Sir Tristram did not want to kill Blaymore. He was related to Sir Lancelot, and Tristram did not want to incur the wrath of the great man. Also, Sir Blaymore was a noble knight of the round table, and Tristram did not want to be in King Arthur's bad books either. He appealed to the judges of the tournament, and asked that they declare him the winner, and not make him kill Blaymore. They agreed, and Sir Blaymore accepted the outcome. He made peace with King Agrisance. The King of Ireland was free to return to his homeland. He sailed for Ireland, taking Sir Tristram with him. When they got there, Sir Tristram was warmly welcomed, even by the Queen. Isoude was beside herself with joy to see the young knight again. She learned that Tristram had been granted a reward of his choice for winning the battle for her father. Deep down she knew what he would ask for. She knew he'd ask her father if he could marry the princess. Bubbling with anticipation, she waited for the question to be asked. Sir Tristram asked the question. Unfortunately for La Belle Isoude, he asked the wrong question. He had been sent to Ireland by King Mark with a task. No matter how much he may have wanted to marry Isoude, he was honour-bound to carry out the wishes of his uncle. Sir Tristram asked King Aguisance for Isoude's hand in marriage all right, but not for him. He asked if the King of Ireland would permit his daughter to marry King Mark of Cornwall. Isoude was not happy. Tristram was not happy. In the end, though, honour came above personal feelings in the world of King Arthur. Both of them accepted that the marriage should take place. The Queen, though, knew that Tristram and Isoude still loved each other, and that didn't bode well for her daughter's marriage to King Mark. She secretly obtained a powerful potion from an enchantress. Tristram and Isoude were packed, ready to go back to Cornwall. They were to be accompanied by the faithful Governale and Isoude's chief gentlewoman, Dame Bragwain. The Queen gave the potion to the two of them, telling them it was a love potion. They were to ensure that Isoude and Mark drank the potion on the day they got married. Then they would love each other forever, and Isoude would forget all about her love for Sir Tristram. The journey to Cornwall was uneventful. There was no repeat of the terrible weather that had blown Tristram to England when he sailed for Ireland. In fact, it was bright and very hot. One evening, 
Tristram and Desude were in the cabin. They were very thirsty and hunted around for something to drink. They came upon a bottle containing liquid that looked like wine. They smelled it, and it did indeed smell like very good wine. Well, look at this, laughed Tristram. Look what those wretches Governale and Bragwain have been keeping from us. Will we've uncovered their little ruse? He giggled and poured the wine. Tristram and Isude drank the sweet liquid. When they had finished it, their fates were sealed. If they had loved each other before, it was nothing in comparison to the love they felt for each other now. The love potion had done its job, but it had done it on the wrong couple. By trying to make sure her daughter would love her new husband and be happy in her marriage, the Queen had actually ensured this could never happen. She had set in motion the events which would eventually lead to tragedy. After some adventures, during which Sir Tristram killed a treacherous knight and six giants, the party arrived on the shores of Cornwall. A great wedding had been prepared, and Princess Isoud of Ireland became Queen Isoud of Cornwall. Isoud loved being Queen, but she also loved Sir Tristram. Whenever they could, the two lovers secretly met. The secret, though, wasn't really a secret. There were rumours around court that Tristram and Isoud were seeing each other behind Mark's back. The only person who knew for a fact that it was the case was Dame Bragwain. She was loyal to Isoud and would never have said anything to anyone, but Isoud was worried. Forgetting everything the loyal Bragwain had done for her, Isoud decided to have the poor woman killed. She sent two men to kill her while she was walking in the forest. The two henchmen, though, had a sudden attack of conscience. When they found Bragwain, they realised she hadn't done anything wrong, and instead of killing her, they bound her to a tree. This was handy, as Isoud immediately regretted her order and wanted to change her mind. Changing your mind after ordering someone's death is never a successful strategy, and Isoud fretted that she had condemned an innocent woman. Fortunately, the two henchmen didn't tell anyone of Isoud's orders. Dame Bragwain was rescued by Sir Palamedes, who happened to be riding through the forest. He brought the dame back to Tintagel, where a delighted Isoud clasped her close. Then... Very rashly, she told Sir Palamedes that King Mark would grant him any reward that he wanted. King Mark agreed, and Sir Palamedes demanded Isoud herself. It was a time of honour, and King Mark had no choice. Isoud went with him, thinking she probably deserved her fate, and anyway, there was a good chance that a certain young knight would come to rescue her. Which, of course, he did. After a failed attempt by a knight called Sir Lambagus, Tristram rode out to find Palamedes. When he found him, he beat him in a sword fight and told Palamedes he was not to enter Cornwall whenever Tristram was there. Tristram and Isoud were together. They talked and talked about their love and started to plan to elope. Honour got the better of both of them, though, and Isoud returned to her husband. The secret of Tristram and Isoud's affair was becoming less secret. A cousin of his, named Sir Andred, was keen on getting some brownie points with King Mark, and he started to spy on the couple. When he was sure he had enough evidence, he sought an audience with the king and told him everything he knew. Mark shook with fury and grabbed his sword. He ran at Tristram, murder in his heart, and thrust the sword towards him. He was no match for the great man, and Tristram simply snatched the sword from his hand. King Mark turned to his men. "'Where are my knights?' Get over here and kill this wretched traitor. Not one of them moved. Tristram took his own sword and raised it as if to strike King Mark. The king ran away. 
Tristram, knowing he would no longer be welcome in Cornwall, packed his things and rode off. On his way, he met two of the knights of Cornwall. He fought with them, cutting the head off one and running the other through. Back in Tintagel, King Mark's barons were worried. They spoke to the king. If Sir Tristram goes to Camelot and becomes a knight of the round table, then you could be in big trouble. It is bad enough that one great knight is now your mortal enemy. If he signs the others up, then you will surely lose your kingdom. Sir Gawain of Orkney, Sir Agravain of the Hardhands, Sir Lancelot of the Lake, these are not men to make enemies of. You should hold your friends close, but your enemies closer still. Send word to Tristram he is forgiven, and welcome back here in Tintagel. This was done, and Sir Tristram appeared before the king. He was told he was welcome in Cornwall, and that he should stay. Tristram stayed, but saw a lot less of La Belle Isoude. But he couldn't keep away from her for long. They were soon up to their old tricks, as was the sneaky Sir Andred. Again he followed them, and again he watched how they behaved. Like an Arthurian Poirot, he went about his detective work with enthusiasm. He used his little grey cells to great effect. He learned where and when Tristram and Isoude were due to meet one night. He waited until the right moment, and then, with twelve knights in attendance, he stormed into the room where the lovers were. The knights struck. Sir Tristram was bound in ropes naked, and Isoude was dragged away. Tristram was left tied up till morning, when he was taken to a chapel. There, King Mark sent forty knights to kill him. Tristram appealed to the knights that he had done great things for Cornwall, and didn't deserve to die. Sir Andred, though, called him a false traitor, and told him that he must die. From somewhere deep inside himself, Sir Tristram of Lyons summoned up his superhuman strength. He must have looked a bit like the Incredible Hulk as he burst out of his bindings. He grabbed the shocked Sir Andred's sword and struck him with it, knocking him unconscious. Then he fought furiously. He killed ten of the knights sent to murder him and then jumped from the chapel window. Unfortunately, the chapel was perched high on a cliff and the naked knight leapt so far he went over it onto the craggy rocks below. Everyone assumed he had been killed. Governale and a couple of Tristram's knights went to find him and discovered him on the rocks. Amazingly, he was still alive and not that badly hurt. He asked after Isoud and was told she had been confined to a leper colony. Tristram told them this was no place for a lady and demanded that they set her free. She wasn't well guarded and rescuing her was quite easy. She was brought to Sir Tristram and they went to a local manor house and stayed there together. They were happy for a little while, but fugitives can never live easily. They are always looking over their shoulders and expecting the worst. When they forget to look over their shoulders, then the worst usually happens. And this is what happened to Tristram and Desoud. One lunchtime, Sir Tristram was in the forest when he suddenly came over all tired. He leant against a tree and had a little nap. A knight from the court of King Mark found him there and shot him with an arrow. He obviously wasn't a very good shot, because the arrow only pierced Sir Tristram's shoulder and didn't kill him. Tristram drew his sword and killed the knight, but then had to rest and tend his wound. In the meantime, King Mark, who had discovered where the lovers were staying, sent some knights to abduct Isoude. She was told that all would be forgiven if she forgot all about Sir Tristram of Lyons and had never attempted to contact him again. She agreed and sent one last message to Tristram, telling him to go to Brittany, where King Howell's daughter would heal his wounds. Tristram went overseas and sought out the king. Tristram soon recovered, and as before fell for his nurse. 
It seems that the love potion's effects were not so strong when the lovers were parted, and Sir Tristram fell into the arms of the king's daughter. Rather disturbingly, her name was also Isoud, and we shall know her as Isoud la Blanche Mains, which means Isoud with the white hands. Tristram did great deeds for the king of Brittany. He led his forces against Earl Grip, who was making war on the kingdom. Sir Tristram of Lyons killed the earl and over a hundred of his knights with his own hand. King Howell embraced the dashing knight and offered him his daughter's hand in marriage. Here, clearly, was the kind of son-in-law that a king should have. Tristram and Isoude la Blanche Mains were married. Tristram took Isoude la Blanche Mains and her brother, Cahidius, on a little trip after the marriage. Maybe it was a kind of honeymoon. If so, it was a bit odd bringing along the brother-in-law. It didn't turn out to be a very restful holiday. While they were on their travels, they landed in Wales. They bumped into a famous knight, Sir Lamorak, son of King Pellinor, who was already there. He was engaged in a dispute with a knight called Sir Nabom. Sir Tristram joined him in his battles and slew both Nabom and his son. Lamorak, not to be outdone, fought with two brother knights called Sir Frol of the Out Isles, who he killed, and Sir Beliance. Satisfied with his little excursion, Sir Tristram of Lyons arrived back in Brittany and settled down to serve King Howell. News of the marriage reached Camelot and Cornwall. La Bellissude wrote to Queen Guinevere, complaining that Sir Tristram had forsaken her for another. This was a bit rich, given the circumstances, but Guinevere was sympathetic. She wrote back to Isoud, telling her this. Sir Tristram loves you, and you alone. In the end he will come to hate his wife and love you even more than he did before. Maybe Guinevere was thinking more of herself and Lancelot than of Tristram and Isoud, but her words would prove true. But that is for a later chapter. For now, we will leave Sir Tristram in Brittany with his new wife, and follow the adventures of a couple of young men who arrived at King Arthur's court at the next Feasts of Pentecost. A quick reminder that there will be no episode next week, as I am on a business trip in Hong Kong. So, have a great two weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.